You're listening to Rainbow Baby, a podcast documenting a journey of pregnancy after loss. I'm your host, Taylor Bates. In May 2018, my first child, Ellis, was stillborn at 31 weeks for unknown reasons. In the depths of unimaginable grief, my husband Hunter and I knew we wanted to try again. Since then, we've experienced new pregnancies and more loss. We're still hoping for our rainbow baby, which is defined as a baby born subsequent to a miscarriage, stillbirth, or the death of an infant from natural causes. I want to share my story with you because life after pregnancy loss can be so isolating. You'll also hear conversations with others who have walked this path before me. In this episode, I tell the beginning of our story of trying to conceive after loss and how that journey has evolved. I talk about my frustrations and how trying to conceive has made me feel like I'm losing my mind sometimes. I also share the best piece of advice I've gotten for this challenging season of life. I hope my story is helpful for you. Here's the episode. Shortly after our first baby Ellis was stillborn, we knew we wanted to try again when we were able. At first, I desperately wanted to be pregnant again. I'm sure it was my mind's way of trying to erase the pain of my baby's death. It felt as though, if I could just be pregnant again, I might be able to trick myself into thinking it had never happened. In my first follow-up appointment three weeks after Ellis's death, I was told that if I wanted to try for a vaginal birth after cesarean, I would have to wait one year to conceive again. The thought of waiting that long was incomprehensible at the time. I wanted a second opinion and found a new OB through several recommendations. After hearing our story in our first appointment, she gave me a hug. She was just the right blend of compassionate and confident. For me, it was refreshing to go to a totally new doctor, office, and hospital. The office also doesn't allow children in the waiting room, which was good for me emotionally. It's hard enough to sit in a room full of pregnant women after you've lost a child. My new OB encouraged us to start trying again after three months, while making it clear that we would have to have a planned C-section, and I was willing to accept this. We started trying again in September, optimistic because I had healed from the C-section and my cycle had returned, though it was still abnormal. We were lighthearted about trying to get pregnant, so getting a negative pregnancy test that month was not a huge disappointment. It had taken us three months to get pregnant with Ellis. By October, about five months after Ellis was stillborn, my grief had become much easier to bear, and I felt closer to my emotional baseline. I was anxious to get pregnant again and could recognize that it was not to escape my pain or to replace Ellis. If anything, I was scared to get pregnant again. I'd had several friends experience multiple losses and was very aware of what could go wrong during pregnancy, even when everything seems to be going right. At the end of October, I got a faint positive pregnancy test. This came after very unpredictable cycles, one as short as 11 days and one lasting 39 days. When I saw the faint line on the pregnancy test, I thought it must be a mistake, so I waited to get excited. I called my husband into the bathroom and asked him if he saw the line too, just to be sure it wasn't hallucinating. He could see it. We expectantly waited until the next morning to take another test, as pregnancy hormone levels of HCG are supposed to double every 48 hours. To my dismay, there was still a line, but it was even more faint, 
which meant my hormone levels weren't increasing as they should for a healthy pregnancy. What did I do? I went straight to Google. There are countless online forums in the pregnancy loss community and even more in the trying to conceive community. The women in these forums, myself included, are looking for confirmation of whether their symptoms could be early pregnancy signs. But these forums can be addictive. You can find a match for nearly any situation that either confirms or denies pregnancy, and I've been sucked into this vortex many times. All of a sudden, based on the symptoms I had searched for in Google, I found myself convinced that I had had an ectopic pregnancy, which happens when an embryo attaches outside of the uterus and makes it impossible for the pregnancy to progress to full term. The embryo triggers the production of HCG, but can be lower than normal, resulting in a faint pregnancy test. It can also cause cramping, which I had in the right side of my pelvis. As it turned out, I got my period later that day. But even days later, I still had a nagging anxiety that I had had an ectopic pregnancy, as women sometimes bleed with them. I realized after this experience that it is difficult for my mind to accept the possibility of conceiving and bearing a healthy child. It seems like a far-off possibility, like someone else's reality, but not mine. Maybe it's a defense mechanism, like my mind's way of trying to protect me from more pain. Thankfully, I already had an appointment scheduled with my OB later that week. I felt anxiety going to see her, and I realized I had some PTSD with doctor's offices since Ellis's stillbirth. I told my OB about the faint positive pregnancy test and the emotional roller coaster I rode full of skepticism, excitement, fear, anxiety, and hope. I told her, I know pregnancy after loss is going to be totally different. And she nodded in empathetic agreement. My OB confirmed that I did not have an ectopic pregnancy. She said I'd probably had a chemical pregnancy, which is a very clinical name for such an emotionally charged experience. I've read that chemical pregnancies are very common and that it's only been with the availability of highly sensitive pregnancy tests that women are even able to detect a chemical pregnancy. It happens when an embryo forms but does not attach to the uterus, resulting in a loss. After the chemical pregnancy, my experience of trying to conceive again became more urgent and anxiety-ridden. I'd begin each new month full of hope and dutifully followed my self-created regimen of supplements, meditation, yoga, and nutrition to try to balance and prepare my body for optimal ovulation. I wore an Ava bracelet at night to track my basal body temperature and heart rate, which helped to confirm when I had ovulated. In the second half of the month, the tedious two-week wait after ovulation, I became slightly, okay, majorly obsessed with symptom spotting for any sign of pregnancy and watched as my temperature rose and then eventually fell before I got my period. This monthly cycle of hope and expectation followed by anxious waiting and disappointment became exhausting. It culminated in December, six months after Ellis's stillbirth, when my ovulation window occurred a couple weeks before Christmas. In my mind, I had imagined that I'd already be pregnant again by then, and was determined that it would happen that cycle. Anxiety got the best of me, and I became moody and demanding with my husband, Hunter. Actually, that is a nice way of putting it. I totally lost my mind. It was not sexy. 
The first holiday after loss is so hard on its own without the additional stress of trying to get pregnant. When I didn't get pregnant that cycle, my grief came back full force. I got my period on Christmas Eve. I realized that the reason I wanted to be pregnant so badly was because I believed a new pregnancy might ease the pain of going through the holiday season without Ellis. I know this seems to contradict the feelings I had three months prior, but what I've learned is that grief isn't linear. The holiday season made my heart ache for a baby that I didn't have, which temporarily changed my motivations for wanting to get pregnant. This realization helped to reinforce that I didn't want to have another baby to try to replace Ellis or get rid of my pain. That is an unhealthy burden to place on a child. Internalizing this was a turning point in my journey through grief and trying to conceive. The new year brought a true sense of renewal and fresh energy. The weight and fog of the holiday season lifted and I felt lighter and more like my baseline self. We approach trying to conceive with a new levity and understanding that we can do our part, but the rest is out of our control. I relaxed about my rigid health regimen and felt much more at ease. That first cycle in January, seven months after Ellis's stillbirth, I got a positive pregnancy test one morning. Hunter had already left for work, and I woke up and checked my Ava bracelet stats, dismayed because my basal body temperature had gone down a few points. Typically, this would be the time in my cycle when my temperature started the downward turn, signaling my period. I started soothing myself, thinking, in two weeks we'll be able to try again. This was a familiar response of the past five months of trying to conceive. I'd become a master at putting a positive spin on negative outcomes, telling myself, well, at least this gives me more time to prepare for pregnancy, or my body knows best. I tried to go back to sleep for a bit and suddenly had a flashback to the moment when I was in the hospital with Ellis, before they had confirmed he was gone. The moment when I could hear my own heartbeat, but not his. The moment when the doctor confirmed with a black ultrasound image, I'm sorry, there is no heartbeat. This startled me enough to get out of bed. I decided to take a pregnancy test. I had one left over from the previous month's three-pack and thought, at least I can get this out of the way if it's negative. One line appeared, the control line. I thought, yep, it's negative. I knew it. Ellis's pregnancy test had immediately shown two lines, so that was my expectation of how it's supposed to be. I laid the test on the counter and raised the dimmer switch on the bathroom lights to full brightness. I started to squint, noticing the faintest second line. My heart fluttered, and I rubbed my eyes, thinking it must have been my imagination manifesting what it wanted to see. But sure enough, the line became more pronounced. A jolt of excited energy went through my body, and I stared, transfixed, at the test. I watched the second line become unquestionably there, though still faint. I think I was only 10 or 11 days past ovulation. In that moment, I felt Ellis with me. I prayed to God, I know you'll walk me through this, regardless of the outcome. And I told my new baby, I love you, and I'm so happy you're here. I felt elation, and thankfully had no anxiety, which was a fear I'd had. 
that I would feel really anxious to be pregnant again. I stared at the test. It felt so good to hold it in my hands, almost like a magical communication from my womb. Hello, Mama. I decided to let myself enjoy this moment of elation and hope. It could change in an instant. I knew that. But that day, I had a positive. I surprised Hunter with the test when he got home later that day, and we were both full of hopeful expectation for the second time. I tested again in the days following, and my heart sank as I watched the lion appear more faint. This triggered a wave of anxiety and sadness, and I ended up getting my period three days later. It was my second chemical pregnancy. When this first happened in November, I wrote it off as a fluke. But the second one hit me harder. My first baby was stillborn, and now I've also had two chemical pregnancies. Tragedy does not earn you immunity points. After three losses in less than a year, it was easy to assume that something was wrong, yet so far, all the testing we'd had before and after Ellis showed that everything was fine. I also knew that chemical pregnancies are pretty normal. One of the hardest lessons I continue to learn is that when things go wrong, we might not ever know why. There are inexplicable, devastating, perplexing events, both big and small, that happen in our world every day. Pregnancy is not for the faint of heart, and few people talk about how hard this journey is for many of us. Social media can make it seem like everyone gets pregnant easily, and nine months later, voila, healthy baby. We see the pretty parts. Pregnancy announcements, cute bump photos, trendy nurseries, and hip onesies. We often get highly selective images of pregnancy and birth which can be isolating when you experience fertility issues or loss. I want to help break the silence around pregnancy loss, and I hope my experience is helpful to those of you out there who feel like your journey to parenthood doesn't look like everyone else's. You are not alone. I hope to share a pregnancy announcement and baby pictures in the future, but I also want others to know the reality of our experience along the way. Trying to conceive after loss and months of getting negative pregnancy tests can be so difficult. Each month that passes, hope can decline and put strain on a relationship. Timing conception by tracking your body temperature and cervical mucus is not usually the sexiest thing. For those of you who are currently trying to conceive, I'll leave you with some direction that has helped me in my journey. I've heard a lot of advice from people about trying to get pregnant the most popular being, just stop trying and then it will happen. I mean, I'm sorry, but there are certain things that have to happen to make a baby. We're not talking immaculate conception here. That has been such frustrating advice to hear. I mean, I get it, but come on. So what I encourage you to do is nourish your yin energy. Like yin and yang. Yin is slow, quiet, restorative, receptive, and creative. It's about doing things that make you feel good. I went to see my counselor recently and expressed my frustrations with trying to get pregnant again. My counselor urged me to cultivate my yin energy because I was so caught up in trying to control my body and make things happen. She explained how yin is about receiving, 
whereas yang is about giving or acting to make something happen. This made sense to me because, as women, we're naturally the receivers in trying to make a baby, if you get what I'm saying. I knew I needed to let my husband take over more of the process. My counselor advised me that when I start to feel an anxious desire to control things, that I should just be. For me, this means not acting on my desire to control and instead doing some self-care or finding something creative to do. I know this is similar advice to just stop trying and then it will happen. But I like just being better. It's about taking care of yourself and slowing down and letting go of control. I also recently saw an Ayurvedic practitioner. Ayurveda is the sister science to yoga and similar to Chinese medicine. She ended up saying the same thing as my counselor, that I need to embrace more yin energy. Once I heard this twice, I decided to take it seriously. The practitioner said that yin is about doing things that make you feel good, like eating nourishing foods, resting, and meditating. Yen is calming and restorative. This has turned out to be such helpful direction for me. I've been much more relaxed about trying to conceive again, and I'm channeling my energies into creativity, yoga, and other things that help to make me feel at ease. Whenever I can tell that I'm getting worked up about trying for a baby, I remind myself of my mantra to just be. Try to do something to nourish your yin energy today. Take a walk out in nature, call a friend, meditate for five minutes, do some yoga, avoid rushing, limit your screen time after 5 p.m., write a thank you note, do something creative, or go to bed early. It doesn't have to be expensive, time-consuming, or complicated. Make a list of your favorite yin activities and revisit it whenever you feel yourself getting worked up, stressed out, or depleted. Remember that you are not alone in this journey. I hope this episode was meaningful for you. If you'd like to connect with me, you can visit taylorashleybates.com and you can also find me on Instagram. Please share this podcast with anyone you know who is walking through life after pregnancy loss. Whether they are trying to conceive, currently pregnant, or parenting after loss, And please subscribe and review this podcast. Your feedback will help shape this podcast and will also help others to find it. Stay tuned for the next episode, where I talk with Amber Megan, a mother of three rainbow babies who were born following the death of her twins. Amber started an annual 5K run called Shine On in San Antonio, Texas, to bring awareness and community around pregnancy and infant loss. She's had 10 years since the death of her twins to process her grief and speaks honestly and eloquently about it. I know you'll be encouraged by her story. I'm Taylor Bates. Thank you so much for listening.